Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese meditation bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the wisest counsel and most fascinating people in the business community from all around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, your Hieronymus Bosch of business. So let me ask you, my friend, is it time to invest your money when blood is running in the streets, as the legendary Lord of Wealth Baron Rothschild claimed? Or is it time to wad what little cash you got left in the old mattress where the woes of Wall Street and COVID-19 can't swirl you into further poverty? Fate has rained down on us some unprecedented and terrifying times. And the only two things that we know for sure is that, number one, the coronavirus, which has struck our community, uh, global community, with a thunderclap and blights us, is being battled by some very extraordinary and a great number of heroic individuals. And number two, that despite all their sweat and human ingenuity, we know that the coronavirus will not vanish from our land anytime soon. This year, at least, is going to be the year of the plague. Thus, to bring you a little ray of practical hope, we're calling on Mr. Stephen Katz, one of the most experienced, insightful experts in the life science and high-tech uh, industries world. Uh, for more than three decades, Steve has uh, served and led countless borns, ironed out dozens of proxy battles, one of which he's doing right now, led scores of turnarounds, and, uh, well, he's just sort of the go-to guy for these two industries that are leading the charge against COVID-19. So he's more com- far more compassionate, but uh, no less pragmatic than old Nathan Rothschild. Steve holds some uh, really good, solid investment strategies for these portfolio-crunching times, and he's going to hold out some refreshing, uh, put forth a, a sensible survival guide. The man has some wisdom. So if you, like me, can handle the social distancing, but you're darn tired of the fiscal distancing, watching all your money swirl further and further away from you, I invite you to pull up your chair and join us in this feast of wisdom, all carefully cuisined, to make your career thrive and your adventures flourish. Steve, I thank you for acting as our Virgil to the Stygian maids of today's boggling financial crisis. So good to have you joining us. Hello. Uh, the pleasure is mine, Bart. I didn't have anything important to do today, so I've been looking forward to this uh, since we started talking about it. Oh, that's great. That's wonderful. Yes. Um, well, uh, before we, actually, before we plunge into matters financial, I'd like to do one thing. You, you said when yep. we chatted earlier that that – you're, that in your business dealings, you retain some of the old-fashioned methods, the courtesies, and the values. And frankly, I think we could all use a little refresher on that. So uh, could, you, could you tell us what you mean by the traditional methods and values? Sure. Yeah, I refer to it as, as old school, and I think a lot of new school people do the same thing, but it, it seems to be a little more vested with the older guys, and I'm not at all saying that the younger guys – and gals don't don't pay attention to it, but I try to return every call before the end of the day or the next morning, and emails as well. I, I try to answer the questions that I'm asked directly, and not give an evasive answer. It's it's important in the services business. Uh, yeah. Huh? I, I I say often enough, I don't know. I want to think about it, or I'll get an answer tomorrow, or I'll call you back this afternoon after I reflect. Um, you know, clients. And when they hire lawyers, consultants, accountants, other advisors, they're very concerned and they want to feel like 
those advisors and consultants are theirs 100% of the time for the time that they speak with you. So you need to create that uh, impression. The last thing that I try to do that comes to mind is uh, I've been on many boards, and I try very much to deal with critical issues, controversial issues, complex issues with the CEO, the principal, depending on whether it's a privately held or publicly held company, offline prior to the meeting so the board meeting goes very smoothly. We try not to create issues at the at the board meeting. We try to put things in line at the board meeting and, and buckle them down. Those are the kinds of things that I try to – those are the guidelines that I try to operate uh, with. I, I think that's excellent. Actually, I, it's early in the show, but I'd like to, since you have all just been enlightened with that, uh, I'd like you to take out, uh, Steve's really just given us some timeless truths here, so I'd like you to take out your your quill pen, dip it in the ink well, and remember that, that as a, uh, remember all the values he said, and that particularly, that if you are dealing with someone that you want to be, they want you to be 100% with them and do that give that attentiveness so i thank you very much for for adding that to us steve or for giving sure. us that or you got it, you're put, setting us in the right direction already now i know that on your on your tax form <laughs> you may put uh consultant but you're you're very often the 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 uh, as a board member um or the c-suite person you're you're the potter you've acted as potter familias prime minister uh and with your corporate clients uh you're sort of seen as the solutions architect and the the sort of the last hope for turning around in fact you've even been on boards where every single board member has been replaced except you and then they ask you to to fix things could you share one of those situations with us sure sure Bart, i don't know if i'm the last hope or the last solution there are plenty of turnaround guys out there but <laughs> one good example would be a uh a financial and medical healthcare data mining company I did some work for about 10 years ago. It was an institutional investor group that had put in about $20 million. We did not have a very strong CEO. We had a lot right. of issues. And they asked me to join the board and go out of my way to coach the CEO and bring him along and make uh -huh. an assessment as to whether he – is the correct long-term CEO, and he needed some focus and guidance, or he just is flawed, not the right guy, not a fit. So I spent about two right, or three yeah. months working with him. It didn't work out. I, I'd give him ideas. He'd say yes, and we never implemented anything. I began to formulate the impression he couldn't execute. I then sat down with right. the investors and had that conversation. We didn't have a particularly valuable board. It was a non-board board. It, the investors were on one or two other people that were not focused. And I said, look, it's time to get a new CEO. They came across in their sojourns over these two or three months somebody that was a, a really perfect fit, and we decided to build a board commensurate with that gentleman's experience. We put five people on in total. We explained that we could change one or two when he came on board. We found the uh, new guy, and we fired the old board in their entirety. I was responsible for cooperating with the investors to hire the new uh, CEO and recruit a board. And we profiled that, as I said, 
We want an A, we want a B, we want a C, we want someone that can do this functionality, another functionality. We wound up putting on a nurse, we wound up putting on an MD, and we wound up putting on a bunch of different people. So it worked out very nicely. I've had I've had I've had similar things happen two or three other times. That's that's fabulous. Well, I know that you also. Uh, I mean, you you have put your hand on the helm in many positions, as you did with this past one. Uh, from and I know you've done everything from Fortune 500s to explosive startups. Um, but uh, but you've stuck mostly with the life sciences, you know, healthcare, and and some high tech. What uh, what pulled you into those industries? Well, it's very interesting. I started life as an accountant at Price Waterhouse, where I spent five and a half years in audit and tax and the consulting group, which in those days was not a lot of consulting, more computer right, IT right. stuff, and became unhappy, didn't want to be an accountant long term. No no slight is intended to the accountants out there. Just I didn't want to do it. And yeah. went to work for Revlon, got involved with a bunch of healthcare businesses, and Revlon had a huge amount of healthcare businesses over and above their uh, cosmetics and makeup and, and proprietary and generic drugs. Got a lot of exposure to that business. I found it fascinating, and that really is what started uh, the 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 career in the healthcare space. I took a job thereafter that was primarily healthcare, and uh, it went from there. What kind of you you mentioned? What what kind of people? Uh, you 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 sort of said to me once that you really liked the healthcare and tech people. What's uh, what what's the aura that you feel when you're in a in an a ongoing, really far going, healthcare uh, or high tech firm? Uh, that's an extremely good question, uh, Bart. That's an extremely good question. Um, I work with early stage, mid stage, sometimes later stage companies, and the CEOs, inventors, developers, innovators of these companies are driven by a few things. They're driven by the need to improve what's out there with their better improved product. They're driven by a need to uh, help mankind produce what's good for God, mother, and country. Um, right, and right. In healthcare, there's, there, there's an enormous amount of unmet needs. And most of these CEOs, inventors, docs, Sometimes the doc is transitioned to the chairman and chief medical officer, and there's a professional manager already in place. Sometimes that professional manager is not quite there. But most of these inventors, CEOs, are responding to an unmet need. Uh, Some of them are misguided. Some have developed uh, perceptions of a product that may or may not exist. But for the most part, these people are very driven, motivated, and committed. And that's very refreshing to work with. Well, at this point, uh, speaking of these two industries, I mean, here we are. Uh, coronavirus has sort of squashed all our assumptions, push, pushing it into what I call the great unprecedented. And uh, you, you are the the uh, really much very experienced in the two firms, healthcare and technology, that are the, the two industries that were pushing to the forefront of this crisis. So. What would you say, as, as sort of from the insider's view, what would you say are the real challenges and, and problems? We, we can admit we have problems on this show. Most businesses only admit it to having challenges. But what are the problems facing these sectors now and in the immediate future? Well, 
Let me, let me comment a little more essentially on healthcare because technology is very broad, and we could spend a lot of time talking about this sector of technology and other sectors of technology. So it's a little, right. it's become a very broad. Okay, area. Yeah, so okay. Go ahead with healthcare. Go ahead. More, more a little bit on healthcare. Um, in the aggregate, and over the long term, I don't really see any problems that are facing these sectors. They've been evergreen for years and years. Over history, biotech has come and gone, the buds off the rose, but it's always here. We always need devices, we need digital health, we need a variety of things. And yeah. predicting what's going to happen in the future, we know it's hard to predict, but here's how I see it. I think things are changing for the short term. There's confusion. The markets are in chaos. Uh, capital sure. raising is a little more orderly, and I can come back to that. But yeah. healthcare uh, will continue to march on once we get back to work and things stabilize. The interesting thing about healthcare that I've observed is, is oh. the following. It used to be that vaccines were considered a non-desirable investment opportunity passe. And oh. the venture community, the private equity community, other professional investors have an aversion from time to time for diagnostics. They've had lots of failures in diagnostics for many, many reasons. Oh. Many legitimate, yeah. many le not legitimate, and I have a client story to tell. Um, but these, these industries were previously not considered in the prime focus. And what's happening That's now true. is these... That's really true. I remember short diagnostics of that. Yeah, go but, ahead. But it's been that way for 15, 20 years. Diagnostics have been risky, Guys, the companies, inventors have come through with diagnostic devices that, that when you look at them on paper and you look at the testing work that's been done, they, they look great. And, you know, in the practical reality of things, they don't work out often. Vaccine uh -huh. has, has become a lackluster business for pharmaceutical companies. It, it's gone overseas. It's diminished in, uh, in interest and diminished in production. Now, now we have a COVID-19 event. And vaccines are absolutely front and center in vogue. Diagnostics well, are front and center. Real fast, yeah. It's really changed. And, you know, the interesting thing about the diagnostics is that there's the 20-minute test, there's the 10-minute test, there's the overnight test, and there's a three-day test. And there's, there's uh -huh. going to be a horse for every race. There's going to be a, a cover for every pot. There's going to be a need for different diagnostics. I, I listen to some discussions about the airline uh, industry and, you know, right. taking temperature oh, and yeah. getting online, you know, maybe they need sure. some kind of a preliminary quick screen diagnostic. There are so many needs that are, that are starting to create themselves and appear unmet needs. And I think that diagnostics, particularly for COVID-19 and things like it, because from all, from all input we have, uh, this is going to be with us like the flu from now on. I think that I this has given I, a rebirth and a re resurgence and a renaissance to those two market sectors. Um, so, uh, you know, I think I think you're the right. So, I mean, I I, I keep thinking of of the vaccines sort of going the way of uh, sort of harkening back to Jonas Salk, who refused to take so much as a dime. Uh, 
for uh, inventing the polio vaccine, and I think that sort of cast the aura that that this is the the vaccines have, have come into this sort of pro, uh, should be pro bono sort of thing. But of course, the company has to make you know someone's got to make money off of this thing. They they can't starve. Uh, okay, uh, well, I think that you've really sort of given us a good picture of where the companies are and where they're going. So uh, if uh, let me just say, Steve, uh, we're going to have, have, have you to continue to reveal all your practical investors' picture of, of healthcare and high tech uh, right after uh, you, my friend out there, and, and I take a brief sorbet for, from today's Feast of Wisdom and we're, as we offer you a few well, utensils for today's feast. And the first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's, well, it's really the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, may I ask, will this be the day that you assess your environment, then assess your actions, and see if you're actually aiming at the right targets, or Will you continue to hunker down and hope that the world out there is going to change to suit your desires? The choice, my friend, is truly yours. And as a second utensil, I can sense you yearning to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste the scriptural recitation from our 102 Best Business Quips book. So let me find it. Where? Oh, here it is. Okay. And I'm pulling through. Uh, okay, this one. This one is good. Uh, this is number 43. At age 10, I bought my first share of stock. It was my ticket to witness how the power of emotion drives the fiction of finance. <laughs> so what do you think, Steve? Are the only real fools in the market those who insist that investing is a logical science? Well, a, a very, very interesting dilemma. Uh, I've probably gone back and forth ten different times in my life about that. Uh, huh. There are moments. There are moments when I feel the market is rational. By the way, I'm not a real—I'm not really a money manager or a financial manager or, or a market person per se. But like, like all of us, we have to deal with the market. You know, we raise capital, we get bridge loans for clients, we we work on sure. public offerings, we work on private financings. I, I, I've always viewed the market as rather irrational. I think, from my perspective, and I wouldn't debate this with anyone. This is a matter of personal opinion. I think the market responds to two-thirds emotions and one-third rationale. Uh, We saw this with Trump and China. Forces of war rise and fall uh, meaningfully uh, each day as a little tidbit of news comes out. It may not measure up to be very much when you put it on the scale, but it moves the market. Then other days when meaningful things come out of meaningful, in my opinion, and they should move the market, they don't move the market. Uh, I think most people will tell you, Bart, I'm not sure that you're wrong. I think most people will tell you uh, the market's hard to predict. The money managers have a method to the madness. They'll tell you that there are trends. The good managers produce great results. Uh, You know, there's incremental risk, of course. uh, Oh, yeah, but I've always, I'll tell you, it's an afterthought to the whole quip. I've really felt that, you, you know, if you crunch enough, if you just crunch the logical numbers and systems of data uh, and you blithely ignore all the greed and the excitement and fear, just as you mentioned with China and, and all the humanity, you're going to do so at your own fiscal peril. That's, it's <laughs> there, there's clearly fiscal peril, but, you know, if you throw enough bets at 20 things, 
and you talk about industries that should grow rapidly, uh, industries uh-huh. that is in that need, PS and medical, you know, good management, other parameters. We can talk about that later. Uh, you're probably going to do pretty well on the market. And I think that what yeah. professional managers do is they they have toolkits for these things, scientifically derived and arrived at. They bolt on the, the predictive indications, stock trends, movements, and so on. And I think that uh, we're applying logic here. And I think if you broadly apply logic, logic dictates you'll make money on the market. I, I must confess that I've been a failure over all the years in the stock market. So <laughs> I don't know what the answer is. I I've done miserably in the stock market, and I'm very not visible for the last 10 years. I've done terribly. You're, I think your trouble is, Steve, is that you have honesty. Uh, most people who do well in the market, I, I know I know they do well because they tell me they have. Uh, at any rate, if you smirked a bit over that quip, we've got them literally by the books full. Just visit bartsbooks.com. That's B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. Pick up your copy of the 102 or the 101 Best Business Quips. Uh, and um, you can also... Pick up, uh, get your reserve copy of our newest business humor resource, uh, In the Words of My Wife's Husband. Pick, get that one, and your hitherto empty tongue will fill with nearly refined witticisms that will delight all your fellow chain gangers at work, and uh, they may just give your words a bit more attention. Who knows? And as a third utensil, let's uh, sumptuously spoon to you the answer from last week's business quotation. Uh, last episode's business quotation. That is, the name. what is the name of the individual who said, seriousness is stupidity sent to college? <laughs> well, those words were spoken by none other than the razor-tongued journalist of American politics and our well-foibled culture, Mr. P.J. O'Rourke. So congratulations, all you winners, and stick with us, because blurt, later on, blurting it your way is going to come another enriching quotation. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, Simply scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her to be an email or write off to info at bartsbooks.com. That's info at bartsbooks.com. And if you're correct, your knowledge is going to earn you a mind and soul igniting gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And Steve Katz is going to continue to lay out uh, some more investment uh, and corporate strategies for these COVID times. Right after, I make an introduction of the company by whose good graces we are here today. And that firm, Prometheus Publishing, who invites you to take a look at this upcoming, at its upcoming offerings, the one we, we just mentioned, uh, in the words of my wife's husband. And this is where, as, as they put it, the radio rock and tour, that's, that is I, tells you about just what's so funny in business. And this is what they are saying about the book. It's a little awkward for me to read read one of my own books. I I never do it, but but anyway, um, they the my, my the press people are saying at last here's your complete source book of business humor. Here's your chance to deep in dip in and seize a fistful of wry wit and pass it along to your fellow chain gangers at work. Bart Jackson believes that the greatest wisdom flies in on the wings of laughter, and for the last decade, he's become known as the man who portrays business in a jocular vein. Bart's business quips have proved, uh, well, they've really provided professionals with uh, barrels full of quotable zingers to spice up both workdays and their presentations. As host of The Art of the CEO, Bart's been jesting with the lunacies, piercing the pomposities, and celebrating those clever inventive folks who make up the business community. So, and the volume culls and uh, 
gives forth the very, very best, including his parting takeaway shots, which always end with, in the words of my wife's husband. And just as a P.S., uh, don't miss the curmudgeopedia with all the devilish definitions at the end. And, uh, in other words, it's time for some fun, my friend. So revert, uh, to reserve your copy, visit BarsBooks.com. Carpe diem, my friend. You are worth it. Now, uh, all sensibility aside, uh, let's uh, turn back to Steve Capps and, and open up a little ray of hope uh, as, as we get some investing tactics uh, tactics and see uh, how we can custom tailor our needs to these feverish times. Steve, on both Main Street and Wall Street, uh, COVID-19 has, has really just shoved us off prosperity's age. That's no news. But uh, we do have, this is the time when they say blood is running in the streets. Is Do you feel that uh, there is there that there really is money to be made uh, at this time by investing? Uh, I think the answer is clearly yes. Uh, once again, I'm not a money manager, and I'm not trying to take on that role. But let's look at it logically. The market always comes back. The market was doing great. The economy was rolling along at a at a horrific, at a ferocious pace, doing doing very well, and we kind of volunteered to just pull the plug out of the wall, so to speak. So I do think there's merit to the idea that once we come back to work, things are going to roar back. Clearly, there are going to be industries that are going to be crippled for a long time. Sure. Airlines, Warren well, Buffett. Uh, Dealt, dealt them a very, very interesting uh, death blow when he pulled his investments out of airlines. And I've heard CEOs quoting that for the next two or three, it's going to take two or three years for them to come back to previous levels. If at all this time, it took that after 9-11. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think, I think once again, we have things that are now not depressed because we've rolled into a depression or we rolled into a bad economic time. These, these these price depressions are very artificially uh, driven. Um, once again, I think if you pick the right companies with the right management teams, they're going to come back. I think it's a question well, of being I a think, little wise in the right. Well, let's 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 turn to your areas of expertise, then the, the life sciences and and some of techs. Uh, what uh, what kind of startups and new product expansions should we be looking for uh, within as we work our way back into financial health? Well, uh, I, I think I think the answer to that is going to be a little bit obvious. Let me make a general comment first. First, okay. Good, good companies, good deals will always find capital whether the capital is scarce or not scarce. I think there's a lot of capital on the sidelines. There's been a lot of capital on the VC sideline. VC activities were phenomenal. First quarter 2020 up from the first quarter of 2019. Uh, 1,200 deals got done. $14.5 billion got invested. So there's plenty of capital on the sideline. It's a, it's a question of the right deals, uh, the right managers, the right industries. I don't think I don't think we're going to go wrong in the diagnostic space. I think these things may wind up carrying the big pharma and biopharma companies a bit and giving them some right. propellant. 
Um, again, not trying to be a stock market prognosticator, but you just have to apply logic. The market was roaring. The economy was great. We now have a couple of very targeted needs. The needs are going to be significant. These needs are going to continue for a while. The complexion of diagnostics may change. The complexion of flus, vaccines, and all these things will obviously change. I think those are going to give birth to opportunities, and I think you've got to pick through it. But don't disregard what happens in the momentum of the overall healthcare business, as I said earlier. These CEOs and these developers, these inventors, are continuously responding to unmet needs, most of them very much so high-quality unmet needs and realistic needs and not artificial needs created in their brain. So a good old-fashioned approach, uh, a logical approach, looking for the right deal, is is going to be the winning equation, I think. I think... I, I think you're really right. I think you really put your hand on it now. But one thing I can guarantee you, we're in, the, in our emotional markets, uh, you're going to see as as we work with this challenge, and as you also said, the healthcare has is constantly working on other things. We are going to see coming out, as I can guarantee in the healthcare arena, uh, a whole lot of firms springing up or divisions of firms spring up, claiming to provide la grande solution, you know, to our to our new normal, and that's. Uh, that's fine, and how? But uh, you're you know these companies, and you know you you can assess value. How do I, uh, as an investor, sort through the chaff and and find the real nuggets that would be worth work uh, worthy to invest in to get to put myself behind? Uh, very very fair question. Let me just recap briefly what I said cumulatively, and then put some additional nuggets on the table. Uh, I think okay. you need to focus on the industries that logic dictates will see growth and expansion and a demand, a need, an unmet need. I think we need to stay away from the industries or the market sectors or the segments or the uh, frontiers that are going to fall off to the side and not yeah. be in vogue and be valuable. But really – I think we need – it comes down to this. I think we pick the valuable market sectors. It comes down to picking a company that's well-managed, that knows what they're doing. And I'm going to tell you that when I work on these uh, early-stage and intermediate-stage companies, uh, what I've seen over over 700 assignments in the last 35 years is uh, good management – and it's understood we have a good product and a good technology. It's all about right. the execution of clinicals. It's all about the execution of research. And you've got to get that all done correctly. But I'll tell you what I think is really a real big driver that I've seen over time, and it's going to apply here in light of the question you're asking is, I like to look to these companies and what their strategy is to market their product, deliver the product to the market, you know, fulfill the market need for the product opportunity. You've got a lot of little companies that have monumentally significant developments, and they have this unrealistic notion that they're going to wind up producing enough to supply the marketplace, and they've got this extraordinarily unrealistic idea about they're going to market and they're going to supply this humongous country we're in and maybe a couple of foreign countries, and they're completely lost in space on this concept. So... Right. You've got to see a very cogent marketing and fulfillment strategy. And for me, 
when I see uh, a great device or a great drug and drugs, clearly the case, you ultimately need yeah. to lay this off on big pharma, biopharma, or a big guy to access what is typically a premier sales organization. It's hard to rebuild and emulate those sales organizations. It's hard to get good oh, yeah. people. And so you've got, you've got to look to the marketing strategy. And the Y strategy, distribution relationship with a market leader in the space. Now, that doesn't apply to all cases. I worked on a product that was a specialty surgical device for epilepsy and only 180 hospitals right. did the procedure. And we thought that a direct sales force would do a better job than giving it to a big company. So, you know, that yeah, was yeah. the exception. So you've got to look to the product. You've got to look to the distribution fulfillment strategy, the, the terrain. You've got to look to what the market conditions are. And, and so I think that management and the marketing strategy, because development and FDA, they're not simple, but they're a little more mechanical. You've got to make the right decision on those kinds of things. So that's my perspective right. on your part. Okay, I think that's I think that's solid, and uh, I know that uh, one of the things is, is it sounds to me as if uh, I, I agree that marketing fulfillment uh, with we have some vast gaping needs. So are you sort of uh, I, I think. You're, you're, it sounds like you're sort of pushing us toward big pharma, but saying that yes, you can get the yes, go for the small company, provided that they themselves have a good marketing and fulfill and, and fulfillment and distribution strategy. Would that be fair? Yeah, it, let me let me let me synthesize it down to a couple of quick bullets. Great product development, great yeah. product. They can distribute through a big guy. They can produce and market and manufacture and supply the big guy uh, at a transfer price to be agreed upon. They have, they have a small manufacturing profit or a, or a bigger manufacturing profit. They get a pretty decent royalty on sales. So the little, the little guy can maintain his identity, maintain a company, maintain a business, but they shouldn't, they shouldn't be trying to market uh, a cancer drug, a, a prostate device, a urological device, a cardiac device, a neuro device, because you need a, a, an extremely thoughtful training program, you need an extremely thoughtful sales organization and a, and a large sales organization, and you need all that support. And you could raise hundreds of millions of dollars and still not be able to emulate what some of these big companies have. You know, some of these big guys don't operate well. There are some bigger companies that have screwed things up from time but, to time. But, but the, the, by and large, the first of all, I mean, to, to do it, to match a and j is, is, is uh, while you're sitting in your basement, is... is uh just plain not sensible. I, I see it. Well, there is one other thing, though, that you have talked about, and I know uh, another aspect, and uh, as we're coming, come moving along here, and that is that you uh, you have a very pragmatic theory of leadership, and I know that uh, I mean your your whole feeling. You, you've told me that you look at the you look at the the CEO, the leadership, and if they're uh, the higher the numbers and the more they're exceeding their goals uh, and the more flexibility you'll allow these guys. Uh, you do, you raise it four hundred percent a year, son. You can come you you can come to work on a flying carpet. I don't care. Uh, so. Uh, but how do I? I mean, so yeah, the manager. I, everything you've said is right, but. You, as a, as a deep insider, really know how to get inside and examine management. Is there any way I, as an investor, can can really get a handle on on examining the manage, management? 
Uh, I think the answer is yes. Let's bifurcate that into public and privately held companies. Certainly on a publicly held company, you've got a 10K, you've got a financial statement, you've got proxy uh, statements, um, you've got a variety of things, and you can beam in on the management talent. You can go to the web and look at them. In these larger companies, you typically have CEOs coming over from another company where they were executive VP. They may have been executive VP in charge of marketing. They may have been executive VP in charge of uh, non-U.S. operations, and now they've got a shot at becoming a president of a U.S. company, and they get promoted up. So in the public sectors, the ability to uh, uh, do a little diligence and, and get a handle on the skill set, capabilities, performance, track record, results that these execs have produced over time is not complicated. Uh, with today's uh, information technology at our fingertips, you can put your hands on a great deal in a public company, and public companies typically hire guys out of other large companies, private or public, so you, you can you can get to it. So I think what's very important is to see who's managing it, look at the background, uh, get a chance to talk to management at a shareholder meeting or at a quarterly uh, earnings release or something. Uh, I know a lot of letter, CEOs have uh, advice, uh, you know, have, have calls, have, have uh, group group phone calls they do now. Yeah, they, they, they do these mechanisms in a lot of different flavors. You want to ask about the plan. You want to ask where they're going. And I'll, I'll give you one very interesting tidbit that I've noticed, and I'm becoming more and more less flexible on this. As I look at a CEO, and I'll, I'm going to give an oversimplified example, I look at a CEO that's been in the cardiac business for uh, 20 years, right. and then he's going to go into a company, and they're in the neuro business uh, or, 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 or dermatological, uh, uh, the dermatology space. You kind of want a guy that knows the industry. I'm not saying that you can't cross over lines, but the further I go along in my in my progression, the more I tend to say that we ought to stick to the industry expertise because there are a lot of nuances in each business and in each industry. Things change dramatically for a variety of reasons. So you want to get a CEO, a COO, who's got a background in a particular segment of healthcare, and optimally you'd like to see that background perpetuate into the next job and that he's not coming out of a different segment of healthcare. Not not that it can't work, and it can, but... No, actually, Steve, I couldn't agree with you more because I'll tell you, when we... Uh, when we did the book, The Art of the CEO, we surveyed over 2,000 CEOs, and the big th- and the one big thing that all the, the, the new CEOs kept saying they never realized was the in sheer complexity of the job. And if if you already bring to the industry a whole knowledge of that industry itself, that just cuts down on the complexity. So I I, I think you're absolutely right. I have one. Uh, we're running out, but I, there's one very, very valuable question. Um, well, actually, let's let's do two. Let's try to fit in. Let's try to fit in two quickly. Uh, number one, can you give me in like one or two sentences what sort of things the boards of these uh, healthcare cities need to be uh, challenged? The challenges that they need to be uh, addressing right now in the healthcare industry in these times. 
Okay, you know, there's a little bit of a bifurcation, but I'm not going to get into it of public versus private, but let's just keep it at a high level. And I would say, I would say that boards should have general players, diverse players, players with uh, knowledge of the industry segments and experience. Boards need to be very balanced. And I think that in the uh-huh. current COVID crisis and environment, I believe that frequency of board meetings is important, uh, and I think it's important because I think priorities change rapidly, momentarily. You know, fortunes of war rise and fall with the moment, and I think it's important that the CEO be on top of where it's moving toward, where we think it's going. The CEO needs to be very, very navigational, needs to be very strategic at a time like this. He's got he's got a big organization that's running the business. He, he supervises all that. He manages that. I think he's got to be very focused on where are things moving. And I think that a yeah, CEO absolutely. can work very well with a diverse board that's attentive and responsive. He may want to make a quick phone call to a board member. He may want to quickly schedule a board meeting and discuss the implications of a, a shift in the market, well, a shift in the opportunity, and things of that nature. So I think okay. I think I think the board well, being well, I'm afraid I hate to cut you off, but I, I have to nope. because I have one more absolutely vital question, and that is if if I'm a business owner, I'm I, I'm looking to survive. I'm looking for funding. I want to turn my business around. Uh, I just need some profitable, practical wisdom. How can I get in touch with uh, you and avail myself of the wisdom of Steve Katz and Associates? My pleasure to respond. Uh, Probably the best number to reach me on for the next week or two is my mobile, 732-887-3856. And my email, steve, S-T-E-V-E, at S-K-A-T-Z.com, steve at S-K-A-T-Z.com. I'd be happy to take a question or a call. It would be my pleasure, and I thank you graciously, Bart, for asking and, uh, well, that's, that's time good, and of course, uh, we're coming close. But you can also get hold of Steve, of course, writing uh, this station. Just put info, I-N-F-O, at bartsbooks.com, and we will pass that on to Steve. So as uh, I thank you very much for coming on, Steve. This, is, this has been great. We're going to have to have you back on. <laughs> Obviously, we can't cram it all in. But I hope that uh, I hope that uh, this, is, this has been I hope that everyone has been listening because Steve has just given out some very, very great, uh, uh, timeless and and uh, very uh, current truths. And so, uh, thank you very much for coming on, Steve. You're more than welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to address your audience. I really appreciate it greatly. I'll speak to you soon. Well, it's been fun. So as we round out today's feast, I am Bart Jackson, your curator of business wisdom, leaving you with today's quotation, uh, which is, the herd instinct among economic forecasters makes sheep look like independent thinkers. <laughs> and as they hint to that author, the, econ- the economist, he was an economist himself, and he brought his wit and remarkable expertise to the aid of American presidents, both Nixon and Ford. And so if you know the author of that quote, just scribble that sage's name down as you believe him or her, or her to be. Send it right off to info at bartsbooks.com to win an absolutely soul-igniting gift. And as a parting shot, uh, in the words of my wife's husband, uh, 
Banking is a marvelously dynamic profession. Where else can you work for seven different companies within five years and without ever leaving your desk? <laughs> and to you, gleefully <laughs> sharing our fees. I hope that you've enjoyed The Art of the CEO as much as uh, Steve and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this by all our shows by visiting theartoftheceo.com. And finally, to you, who have honored us with your time, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege, and I thank you.